Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 90 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond and I am a middle school music teacher in Washington, D.C. Of course, I am also a Modern Classrooms implementer in my music class and I'm a Modern Classrooms mentor. And tonight I'm here once again, end of the month, with Tony Rose. So great to be back together on the podcast. I love these. I look forward to them now. How are you, Tony Rose? Yes, I know. I'm I'm doing really well. Thank you so much, Zach. As always, I love being in the same space as you. So here we are. Well, let's tackle these questions. We have a lot of questions tonight, so we're going to have to kind of do a, a lightning round here. Um, but let's let's get started. There are good questions in here. All right. Yeah. So listeners, we have a recording from one of you, actually, which is really, really exciting. So from April. Hey, Modern Classroom. I was looking to get an answer about the tracker sheet. I have started implementing most of the components of the Modern Classroom, and I am in your master's program this summer. Um, But I'm using the tracker, the one that looks like an Excel spreadsheet, and it updates automatically. I had some problems with it, but also I'm noticing because I have so many students in my room, in order for the kids to see all of their names at one time, I have to make it super tiny and that's just not readable. So I was just wondering if you had a link or a website or some ideas of how to mitigate that. Right now I just printed it out and I'm writing it by hand and then I'm just showing that on the overhead. And I think that's fine, but you know, having a cute thing was, was cooler. Awesome. I'm so glad I found you guys. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you for having this available. And I look forward to the summer. Okay, so this is a a difficult question. And actually, before we start responding to the question, um, I want to mention to the listeners that this is a really awesome way of sending us questions. We I have a link in the show notes where you can send us like a voice note. So if you want to uh, send us a question and ask us the question verbally, and I can put it even in the podcast like I just did, you're welcome to do that. So check out the show notes if you want to see how to send us a voice note. Um, So the question asks about a really, really big class fitting onto a pacing tracker. This is a challenge. I have the same exact situation. I have a class that is so big that uh, I project my pacing tracker on the on the on the board, and you can't see all of them. <laughs> I have to scroll up and down uh, to to see their names. Yeah, um, and I don't actually have a solution to that problem yet. I I still just sort of scroll up and down, um, and I I haven't found it to be that much trouble to have a kid just come up to me and ask me to scroll down or scroll up. But I also post the the tracker right there on the front page of our Google Classroom. So they can access it themselves. You know, it doesn't, the, the only place, or I should say that the front of the room where the tracker is projected is not the only place where that data is available. Um, and I also use the Google Classroom sort of grading system, the gradebook, to show kids if they've mastered a lesson or not, so they can look there too. And so I, I, don't, I don't have the answer to this one, unfortunately, April. I wish that I did um, because I have the exact same situation. But uh I, I guess in my experience, scrolling up and down hasn't been that big of a deal, but posting it on Classroom, and if a student really needs it, they know that they can just go and look um, if it's not on the board right in that moment. Uh, this has been my has been my solution. If any listeners have a solution to this problem, like if you know of a website 
that can display data without making it tiny, like maybe making two columns of data or something, we would love to hear about it. Tony Rose, do you have any thoughts on this? No, I just wanted to say, um, you know, we don't have all the answers to everything. And as you all are aware, you know, Zach has been implementing Modern Classroom for about three years now, right, Zach? This is my third year, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so three years, and we're still trying to figure out what the best system is, right? And so, uh, and we constantly learn from our listeners, from other implementers as well. So if you have an idea, if you have a program, or if you have a solution to this, please share. You know, I will say one thing thing is that April mentioned using a spreadsheet based uh, pacing tracker, which is the exact same as what I do. Um, And so all the rows have to fit. But there are other styles of pacing tracker that might be more sort of like geometrically suited to projecting on a whiteboard that's not super tall. I remember Kareem's tracker is just sort of a just a slide with some boxes on it for lesson one, lesson two, lesson three, and the students names would move between them. And so that would probably be easier to fit because it wouldn't be one single column of height there would be some spread to it. And so maybe that would be a thing to consider. But I have not considered that because I personally just prefer the column and the uh, the spreadsheet. I've talked about why before, but I like to use a spreadsheet. So I've dealt with the inconvenience of not fitting it on the on the whiteboard. I mean, yeah, you definitely got me thinking too, Zach, because I did that as well. So I had the the spreadsheet and I had the slide that Kareem would use as well, because some students that that spreadsheet is overwhelming. Right. So to simplify it in the beginning of the school, uh, in the beginning of the class, right, I would just have it on a slide and say, like, here are the students who are on pace, students who are behind pace, students who are ahead of pace, and they can just kind of quickly find their name and then keep it moving, which is actually also really cool. And that only took me maybe two or three minutes to just list out the students of where they were. And so I know that that's extra time um, and it's not really the best thing to do because it still takes time to do. Uh, So again, listeners, if you have any solutions, please share. Yeah, please do. I do remember one time a listener quite a long time ago actually reached out to me with like sort of a JavaScript project that he was doing that would automatically generate based on the spreadsheet, like a little info page for an individual student, which was really cool. I, I might reach back out to that listener and see if I can share that. But um, you're, you know, you're right. We don't, we don't have all the answers, unfortunately. So if anybody knows, let us, let us, let us in on the secret. Um, and April actually also sent us one other question about a website that we mentioned. She wanted to know the name of the website. It's a website that allows students to get into like a digital line or digital queue. And for April and for all of the other listeners who may be wondering what that is, it's Classroom Queue. Classroom Queue is the the website that lets kids get into line. And then you can see the line from your computer and, uh, you know, work your, work your way through the line of students. So Classroom Queue, and I will drop that in the show notes um, for April and for everyone. Beautiful. Thank you, Zach. We can move on to the next question. All right. So the next question says, we just started our first VSI session this week. How exciting. What can I expect from VSI 2022? Um, First of all, I just want to celebrate the fact that it started this week. And so we have had so many mentees who are just so excited to be part of this journey. And our community just continues to get bigger. So I'm really excited about it. But some really cool things that are happening this summer for a virtual summer institute um, is that we have, of course, the mentorship program, right? You have those initial coaching calls with your mentors, but we also added in discussion groups where you can actually meet with your mentor once a week. And 
um, meet with the rest of the mentees that your mentor works with. So you have a lot more thought partners, a lot more check-in points, and really just expand your network of teachers. We also have social hours that are really great, of course, led by yours truly. So we have our kickoffs and wrap-up social hours. We actually just had our first um, social hour this week. Um, and then we also have workshops. So we have one workshop uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and it's all different topics that pertain to each module. And so we were really intentional and we really wanted our mentees to not feel isolated. So we created different opportunities for them to um, be thought partners, to connect with one another, and to really just have each other's support, which is so exciting. So if you are, you know, questioning whether you want to do the BSI, the Summer Institute Mentorship Program, check us out. It's been so much fun so far and it's only been a week. Yeah, that's it's really cool. I mean, I, I'm not actually mentoring for the first session. I'll be mentoring for the second and third sessions, but that's the same feeling I remember from last year. And this year, there's just so many more like events and you know, platforms and things where people can socialize and, and share materials and also just sort of talk about modern classrooms. It's very, very cool. I am looking at the like the forums and things and seeing the different people introducing themselves. And so it's it's really exciting. I'm really excited for uh for my participation in VSI to get started. I am uh participating on a panel I think in session 1. So that'll be that'll be fun. But yeah, I'm I'm really really excited for the summer. I mean, I'm really excited for the summer in general. We've talked about this already. Um but VSI is a big part of why I'm excited for the summer. So this is great. Yeah. It's going to be, it's just, you know, we were really intentional with how we wanted to run the Virtual Summer Institute. And so we just got such a great team at Modern Classroom. And so we want to make sure your experience is as amazing and as effective and as convenient for you all. So come join us. We're doing some really cool stuff. Check us out um, on all of our social media so you'll see all the cool things we're doing. Awesome. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's keep it going. All right, here's a question from the Facebook group. Oh, another hard question. This one says, what do you do when Wi-Fi is down and students can't access their resources at school or at home? How do you pivot? Oh, this one, I had to like take a deep breath in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because this, is ha- this has definitely happened, right? Like you and I, Zach, worked at the same school and it's happened yeah. where our Wi-Fi is down and students can access anything really. And so this is where you have to be really quick and think on your feet. Um, as an English teacher, we reverted to reading together um, a book or I would just do a read aloud or they could just choose a book that they wanted to read by themselves. And so we we really took a pause um, at what we were learning. And that's okay because sometimes it happens, right? And so uh, we did Pictionary, we played games, and that was a time that we really um, focused on community you know, engagement and building relationships with one another. Another cool thing that you could do is do a Socratic seminar and kind of just focusing on like retrieval practices, right? Like, hey, let's talk about what have we learned so far. Um, and so that it's a low tech, you have some questions that you want to ask students that they can talk about as well. Um, those are uh, another option that you could do. Um, of course, some teachers are super prepared and super organized where they have a couple of copies of their tasks already ready for students. So they just go and quickly make copies of that. Um, 
I know that there are times where I've used my own hotspot to show something on the screen, be like, okay, we're going to take a pause. We're going to watch this thing right now and then compare it to what we're learning and why we're watching this. And so you really have to have backup ideas and how to get that, how to keep that learning going or even just take a pause for that day and just like really get to know your students and play some games with them. And it could be like academic games. I know for English, you had apples to apples. My students really loved apples to apples. We also played Boggle. Um, And so, but we also, we were also like, Zach and I were also privileged enough to be able to do activities like that at our school. Um, And so those are some ideas that I did, but what about you, Zach? What did, what do you, what did you do? Yeah, I mean, my answer is similar, but in a very like my class kind of way, which is that I have, I don't know if you remember this about my classroom, but I have like a record player and I have an old Walkman. I have some random like analog audio equipment and I let my kids mess around with that. That's my version of games because this question, um, even going beyond modern classrooms for me, my class is based on the being online because we, we use a program called Soundtrap, which is an online program. It's entirely, my class is entirely online. And so when the Wi-Fi goes out, there's really nothing that my students can do. Um, I do have some like guided listening activities. My kids almost never do them. But I I always find that when the Wi-Fi goes out, there's some degree of like, I guess not, I I, want to say pandemonium, (laughs) but it's not like crazy. But, you know, kids aren't super focused because they're distracted by the fact that the Wi-Fi is out. And so... Some kids will want to sit and read, and that's fine. Some kids might have math work that they can do on a on a you know on a piece of paper, and that's fine with me too. Um, and I have sort of like tangible things that my students can do in the classroom, like I can show them how to play a record, which kids really really like because it's a weird thing that they have never seen before, and they can put their finger on it and play it backwards and stuff like that. And they can play like a set tape, and they can plug the headphones into the Walkman and feel like they're in the eighties or like they're in Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever. And so, yeah, I guess it's not very, like, academic. But like I said, my class is very dependent on being online, which I guess is maybe a a fault of my class, something I should work on. But it hasn't happened to me enough that I've had to really, like, think on this too much. But I guess in a way our responses are somewhat similar. I was just going to say another idea would be to brainstorm a list of things with your students, just kind of like proactively like, hey, what if Wi-Fi is down? What can we do as a class together? Because I think sometimes when things like this happen, Wi-Fi is down, we get super frustrated and flustered, right, as teachers, because we're like, oh, my gosh, we have so much to cover. We, we We can't lose time. But I think, honestly, it's also just kind of the universe forcing us to pause. Yeah. And really like embrace each other as a class get to know each other you know and like find out other ways to connect outside of using technology so um some really cool things that you could have wordle right wordle is huge now and apparently there's a math version for it there's like a world uh, version for it there's so many different versions of wordle now and students are absolutely eating that up so that's um, one way that you could, it's still, you know, it's games, but it's still academic where they're focusing on like, or trying to figure out like word acquisition, vocabulary. Um, and you can make that into teams, right? Like grouping them and like getting them to work on it. Puzzles are really fun as well. But if you're like one of the teachers are like, no, we have to keep learning and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, if you have hotspot, like I've done this before with my students where I just plugged in my laptop, I connected it with my hotspot 
hotspot and we watched a video together. I projected it and then we watched it together. So it's not necessarily them watching it all on their own, but we watch it together. We have a discussion about it. And then, um, and then continue to practice those skills in like really just being able to pivot and be like, okay, this is all online, but then how can I make this on paper? So you kind of have to think pretty quickly. And then you can also like, I've done it as well, where I just ask students like, hey, this is what we were going to do today. How can we turn this into, you know, paper-based? Because sometimes our students have the best ideas anyway. So might as well just be transparent with them. Um, and also just, you know, being able to create that relationship with them so that they're not taking advantage of the free time. They know that it's still learning, but it's just done in a different way. Yeah, totally. Those are great responses. And I love the idea of having the students help to come up with the solution. Um, one thing that I want to address here is that the question also asks, also asks when student can't access the resources at home. And that one is much, much trickier, I think, because... In some cases, like if they aren't coming to school for whatever reason on a day or more uh, more frequently than a single day, that's a bigger issue. And I feel like in that case, you might need to think about ways that you can uh, implement your class in, in paper-based ways. Um, do you have a response to that part of the question? Yeah, again, this one's really tricky, right? Um, and so... When we're thinking about like no Wi-Fi at home, um, especially during COVID, right? COVID showed um, just the inequities of having Wi-Fi at home. And so some of my peers, my teacher friends actually like taught through Instagram or Facebook, right? Because they know that everyone has those, um, the social media handles. Um, another thing that um, some of the implementers that I've talked to who are in remote places, remote schools, they also had USB drives and they just uploaded their videos that way as well. And so that's a, you know, that's a lot of work, um, but really just trying to figure out like, what is the best way to reach students? Um, I always met students where they were. So they loved TikTok. So I taught using TikTok and they like loved it and ate it up. So it really just depends on on you and what your capacity and and time look, looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky question. It's a tricky question. And I, um, I don't have that great of a response to that one either. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 there's a theme for this Q&A, right? It's yeah. like, uh, <laughs> really, really hard questions that we don't have all the answers to. Um, and that's okay to not have all the answers. It's just something to, you know, listeners, again, if you have a solution, please share with us because we love learning from you all as well. Yeah. Yeah. We do. Podcast at modernclassrooms.org. Yeah. So let's move on, Zach. How do you share modern classroom with caregivers in the community? Yeah, I think this is an interesting question. And I and I will say that I sort of backed off like using the terminology and, and calling it, you know, capital M, capital C, modern classrooms, because some parents didn't like the idea that their kids were being, I guess, to put it in a pessimistic light, like experimented on. Um, I just sort of describe what I'm doing in the positive way that modern classrooms allows us to describe what we're doing, right? Because what we're doing is good, right? Nobody wants to or nobody has any problem hearing that their kids are being given the amount of time they need to learn the content. Nobody has any problem being told that their kids are held accountable for knowing the content before moving on, right? These are all things that, you know, we generally want that in education. We've always wanted that in education and parents can understand those terms. And as the year goes on, we start to, you know, we start to like communicate more specifics about our class just in, you know, maybe email blasts to parents or in individual emails. Like I'll send, I often send emails that are like the student has completed four out of six lessons 
and they have until whatever date to finish the last two. And that is self-pacing in a sense, right? I'm not saying that it's self-paced. I don't use the term self-pacing in an email like that. But I, I explain what's happening in my class, if that makes sense. Like without using the teacher words that, that make sense to us, make sense to people that are implementing the model, which there's no problem with those words, obviously. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm all about modern classrooms in every way. But I do think that communicating with families, it's more important to explain what's actually going on than to like, you know, explain the model to them. Which, of course, I guess some people might want to do too. Um, it's in my email signature. So, you know, it's a thing that people know about. I'm not hiding modern classrooms from anybody. I just think that it's more, it's more practical to explain my class in the terms that to sort of describe what's happening in it rather than, you know, using the model to explain how my, my teaching works, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, um, Zach. And I'm also thinking, too, since the school year is wrapping up, there's lots of new implementers and new interest, right? With, oh, I want to start Modern Classroom in the new school year, which is a great idea. And so something that we did at DCI um, at my old school is that for back to school night, right? When families are coming in, caregivers are coming in, we gave them a glimpse of how our classes would run. And so that, you know, giving them that learner experience, the caregivers and the community, giving them the learner experience really was impactful. So they had a better understanding of, oh, like my my child is actually not going to be on a computer the entire time. And it's like, oh, okay, instructional videos. That means I also get to watch these instructional videos. So I get to see how the teacher teaches and be able to have those conversations with my student at home. Yeah, and that's another one. I didn't even think of the videos, but yeah, that's another one that comes up a lot where it's like, I want to help my student succeed at lesson four. And so I'll say, okay, the video for lesson four is linked on Google Classroom. You can watch it. And those videos are four minutes long. They're five minutes long, you know? Um I do I do very much mention that because I'd, I'd want to dissuade families from thinking that the kids are going to spend their entire music class watching an instructional video of me talking. Um, I also show my pacing tracker in back to, uh, like in my back to school night presentation, which I guess might be a little risky in the sense that you're showing that all that data is public. I've never had any pushback on it, and I've certainly never had pushback from the kids, which I know is something that people bring up a lot. But yeah. Um, I just show them my class. Like I just, I feel like modern classrooms classes are very streamlined. It's a very simple model to understand. And so I just describe it. Yeah. And it's also just all about transparency too, right? There's not a surprise. There's not a, oh, guess what? Or, you know, trying to trick you and catch you. Uh, It's really transparent, which I absolutely love. And so with that, like for public, for my public pacing tracker, I actually shared that with all stakeholders, Zach. So I shared it with caregivers. I shared it with students. I shared it with all my co-teachers. I shared it with my English team. So like everyone is on the same page. And and that's great, right? Because the student could be working with four different adults and those adults would know exactly where that student is in my class. And I think that's the beauty of it, right? We're no longer, we no longer are trying to figure out what this student know um, and what they don't know, but like the tracker shows that and it's literally just mastered or revised. So when adults see that it's revised, like, hey, go back to that lesson. Like, let's make some revisions on that so you can master it. So I think, again, like one of the biggest things about modern classroom for me is that there's transparency now students know exactly what to expect and then also 
caregivers and families know exactly what to expect as well. So when the question comes up of like, hey, what did you learn today? And the, and the student goes, I don't know. The, the, you know, the caregiver can literally just be like, okay, just, you know, show me your Google Classroom. We can take a look at it and we can learn together. <laughs> and that's so beautiful to learn together. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I, that's, and that's why I think that like, it's not that good of an idea to get bogged down trying to explain MCP to anyone. Just give them the materials. Just like it's clear to our students, it's clear to anyone who looks at it, especially the pacing tracker, right? It shows what lesson each kid is on. And so it's it's just great data to share that's super descriptive, super easy to understand. And you don't have to explain, this is a pacing tracker and my class is self-paced and all the other stuff, right? It is, it's great and it is. But when we share it with the parents and the caregivers who are just trying to help their kids succeed, it's better, I think, to to show them the actual useful information. You know, the next question in the document is actually sort of, I think, in an interesting way connected to this. Do you mind if I move on to the next question? Yeah, go for it. It says, I'm starting to interview with schools. How can I tell them that I plan on implementing MCP in my classes? And um, I, I don't know about you, you probably have a better answer than me, but I feel like I would say a similar thing, which is to like describe what the class looks like using those terms and like using those those parts of the model that make it just sound super awesome, which is what it is. Yeah, and some questions because you know, when you're being interviewed, they're asking you questions, but also please ask questions. You're also interviewing them to figure out if that is the school that you want to be ultimately, right? So the questions that I would ask them would be, how do you support teachers who want to try things that are innovative and different from the traditional teaching model? So that would be one question that I would ask. And then seeing what their responses can determine whether or not they're open to having a modern classroom in their school. Um, another question I would ask or is, is like, what are some ways that you are supporting all of your students and how do you support teachers in um differentiating all of those needs. And so just asking those questions and then being, and then sharing with them, Hey, I'm actually implementing this self-paced blended learning mastery based learning in my classes. Let me show you what that means, or let me walk you through that, or let me give you some examples. And then like talking, talking it out with that, you know, like just kind of sharing your examples. And I would even have like testimonies from students. So honestly, like my last school that I worked at in my interview and in my application, I had two students record a TikTok video for me about why they should hire me. Um, and they loved it. So again, having your students talk about how did self-pacing impact their learning or how did blended learning or mastery-based learning impact their experiences? That would be a really good way to also get the school leaders who are interviewing me, inter interviewing you to be like to buy in and to get interested in what you're doing. So I would definitely ask those questions when you're interviewing. <laughs> that's, that's such a great idea, the students. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Everyone loves hearing from the students. So we might as well milk it. And like my students, it was actually like their idea. I'd be like, oh, Missy, you're looking for another job. Like, we'll, we'll do that. And I'm like, bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. And I think that's such a good point. You know, like I, I haven't interviewed for a job for a long time. I've been at my school for, this is my sixth year now, but like the, maybe, maybe that's not very long, <laughs> um, but I haven't interviewed in a long time is how I feel. And you know, if it's not a match, 
if they don't want MCP in their school, you don't want to work there if you're going to try and teach with MCP, I think, right? Like, you want to be at a school that's open to an innovative model and that's open to supporting you as you try stuff out in your classroom and you try out modern classrooms and you try out self-pacing and all this stuff. Um, you don't want to be constantly at odds with an administration that's not interested in modern classrooms. Yeah, I mean, and there are schools out there who are interviewing and then asking the interviewees like, hey, we're doing modern classroom at this school. What are your thoughts? How do you feel about that? Right. Like, so there are schools out there that are hiring and looking for modern classroom implementers. And I'm all, like, I'm only saying this because Becky, one of our mentors is a superintendent for Concord schools, actually. And that's part of her interview process. Right. She's just she's telling teachers who are interviewing with her that, like, we're implementing this model. Hmm. So get your head like wrapped around, wrap your head around it. Let me know if you have any questions. <laughs> so it's a requirement. So there are schools who are doing that. Yeah, but I, I, that's awesome, first of all. But I think you're absolutely right to say that you're also interviewing them. And if it's not a match for you, it's, it's just not a match for you. And if, if, you know, if you don't want to teach modern classrooms, don't go and work in that district where the superintendent <laughs> wants to make sure that you learn modern classrooms, right? And likewise, if you really, really want to teach modern classrooms, don't go to a school that's much more traditional and wants to focus on, you know, um, direct instruction and things like that, which isn't necessarily bad. I would personally prefer to work at a modern classroom school. But, you know, if it's not a match, it's not a match. And that, I think you made a great point there that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah. And also find a teacher that works at that school and ask them questions. <laughs> yeah. So just to be, you know, just so that they can be honest with you and transparent about what it really looks like teaching at that school. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's a great, that's a great, great call. I mean, like I said, my response to this was more along the lines of like, describe the model and the great things about it rather than trying to be like, this is what self-pacing is. And this is what instructional videos are like. And these are the best practices for instructional videos because I don't know. It's kind of dry that way. But if you describe a modern classroom, it's dynamic and it's exciting and it's fun. And so that's, I think, that like presenting the model in that way as opposed to like here are the here are the bullet points um, would be my approach. But your point was better than mine and I will uh, see the floor. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we can just say like in an interview, hey, here are the must do, should do and aspire to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind for my next interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. All right, so next question. Zach, how do you distinguish between what a should-do assignment is and what a must-do assignment is? Are the should-do assignments additional practice or are they review-type assignments or something else? Whatever you need them to be. So I think this um, implementer is really just questioning what is the difference between should-do and must-do? Yeah, so I've answered this question before on the podcast about my own personal class. But before I tell you the answer... Um, I should say that I've seen very, very different responses, not responses to the question, but like working with mentees, I've seen their should do's and their must do's and their aspire to do's. And I've seen all of the above, right? Some should do's are just more practice problems. Some should do's are a separate act activity that's like a different kind of practice. In my case, the must do's are a task or an activity that contributes something directly to the project. So they're making a song and the must do might be something like record your voice, right? That voice is going to be in the song and it is a must do because there must be voice in the song. So they must do it. The should do for that lesson might be 
So for the must-do, they're going to take a screenshot of their project in Soundtrap showing that there's voice. And the should-do would be something like draw an arrow to all the regions in your project that contain voice. Um, that's a should-do because it, they should do it because it's helpful for me. If they don't do it, I can probably figure it out. But if I can't figure it out from the picture, I'll give them a revise, an R, and check in with them first. Um, it's a very minor activity, but they should do it because it's helpful for me. If they don't do it, I can probably figure it out. Um, the aspire to do's are not in this question, so I'm not going to spend that much time talking about them. But for me, aspire to do's are totally separate, not related to the project. So like a listening activity, a song analysis, uh, something like that, something that it does not contribute to the project. But the must do's for me are activities that the students actually must do in order to meet the requirements of the project that we're working on. Yep. I, I don't have anything else to add on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I would still stress that like lots of different teachers do this in lots of different ways. And what I do as a should do might be required by some teachers just for the must do. And, you know, other teachers may have aspired to activities that are part of the project, but are more practice. You know, it really comes down to what you want. There are a lot of right ways to do this. I guess I shouldn't say there's no wrong way to do it because there probably is a wrong way to do it, but there's a lot of right ways to do it. There's a really a lot of creative leeway here in terms of how you classify your lessons. Just think of the must-dos as the things that your students must do. You know, If you consider a hypothetical student who only does the must-do, they should still be able to pass your class. Yes. Yeah, they should still be able to access the content, the standard, the skill, all of that with your must-dos. And the should-dos would just be extra, definitely extra practice. Right. Um, okay, cool. Let's move on to the next question. All right. This one says, oh, we got this one by email. I saw you going back and forth with this person by email. Um, this one says, I've been invited to present to my school about MCP. How do I get started? Okay, so I actually jumped on a call with Alex M. from Colorado. Hi, thank you for asking this question and also just being a thought partner, right? Um, how do you get started? Think about, again, the learner experience, something that Zach and I have been talking about when you're sharing MCP with families, with caregivers, as well as schools that you're interviewing with. Same thing when you're presenting to your school, right? Um, I'm a firm believer that we should not be talking at people at, for more than 10, 15, 20 minutes, right? And so giving, giving your staff, your teachers, really work time to explore modern classroom is really important. So think about what your school, what your staff and teachers are more interested in and something that they can start out as well, like a bite-sized um, actionable step that they can all do. And it doesn't have to be all three pillars of modern classroom, right? So you could focus on self-pacing. You could focus on just instructional videos, whatever you decide to focus on based on what your teachers need and want. That's going to be really powerful. Um, also, congratulations on being invited to present to your your school about all the wonderful and magical things you're doing in your class. So I hope that you're celebrating that if you've been invited. Um, and I know that like once, once you think about, okay, thinking about the lesson classification of must do, should do, and aspire to do for your teachers to explore as well, 
We love options. As adults, we love options, but also being mindful that we don't want too many options. We want options. Um, And so really thinking about how you're going to utilize that time when you're presenting. First of all, go on our website um, and I'll link it in the show notes as well. And there'll be a set of deck, a slide deck for you to start brainstorming. So and start um, thinking about how you can utilize this this slide deck that we have for you when you're presenting to your school. And you can, you know, you're going to make a copy of it and do like whatever you want with those slides. You can cover all of the information on there or you can just pick some of the slides that you want to go over. But we do have a slide deck for you to get you started. And then, of course, um, if you are presenting, if you're going to a conference or if you're applying to present at a conference to talk about Modern Classroom, please hit me up um, and you can use the podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And then if it's a conference or if you're doing a PD at your school, I would love to just have conversations with you on how that's going, what your thought process is and how you're trying to get um, teachers really to just understand what you're doing in your classroom. Uh, so yeah, how do you get started? Go in our go on our website. It'll be linked on our show notes there. Um, you you basically fill out a form and then you'll get the slide deck and you can start brainstorming on what you want um, and how you want to use that slide deck and then start thinking about your audience. So I'm not at your school. You are. You are the expert at your school. You know exactly what teachers want and you know exactly what to say to get those teachers excited. So um Utilize the slide deck however you'd like. That's how you would get started. And then we can continue the conversation about how we can deliver the content so that it's really exciting and, um, and, and teachers don't get overwhelmed by it. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we have time for tonight. I feel like that was a lot of questions, though. Yeah, I really like that majority of those questions were how do we get people to understand what we're doing? Yeah, yeah. We sort of, I, I don't know, we didn't do that on purpose, but like this episode has sort of been about like, communicating what mcp is mm-hmm. i like that. i love it i love it that people are just so ecstatic and they want to share it with everyone and anyone yeah. who's willing to listen <laughs> totally totally yeah that and then a couple of really tough questions that we didn't have the answers to so great episode <laughs> anyway uh, listeners remember you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org and please do we asked for a lot of answers from you all on this one so please uh reach out. You can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 90. And we'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back here in the show notes if you'd like to access those resources. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday with the last episode of our self-pacing season. Woo! How exciting. Thank you all. We'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj. That's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.